the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed. He's here to say good afternoon. Welcome. It's Tuesday, 25th of June. You have exactly six shopping months until Christmas. I know already Joel's wheels are beginning to turn. What do I get Craig for Christmas? I'll give you a list later on. <laughs> well, great to have you with us. we got a great show planned for you today. And uh, we're going to launch into a topic as we uh, start out today's program that has been increasingly noteworthy, and I think even more so, as we head into the 2020 election. You've probably read, it's been all over the news, that both Google and Facebook are quote-unquote taking steps to make sure that manipulation of the 2016 election isn't repeated in 2020. Not to suggest by any means that Russia was able to swing the election because on par for the amount of time, effort, energy, and money that went into it, it was barely a blip on the radar screen. But it certainly has created a bit of a cauldron of swirling controversy in relationship to a fundamental American right, the right of free speech. Now, you've probably read recently um, YouTuber, podcaster, and comedian Steve Crowder uh, recently demonetized by the YouTube platform. Um, many are saying this is just simply um, way out of line, and all of a sudden now corporate America is deciding what can and cannot be said. Well, it raises quite a number of important, fundamental constitutional questions, questions which we're going to struggle with in our program tonight. As we lead off, always a delight and an education to have join us Bob Zadek, best-selling author. He is the host of the syndicated program, The Bob Zadek Show, heard Sunday mornings here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 AM, The Answer. Got a number of books to his credit, including his most recent call, The Bubble, How Higher Ed Became America's Most Overrated Product. And Bob, as always, great to have you with us. Nice to be back on the show, Craig. Thanks for inviting me this evening. Wow, this thing really kind of gets into um, certainly a major area of interest to me as a broadcaster, and I think it's uh, very well, well much inside of your wheelhouse as well. The fundamental question of our First Amendment rights, Article 1 is very clear that um, government is not going to, uh, by any means, um, truncate our speech. Specifically, Congress shall make no law abridging freedom of speech. And we've based, of course, a lot of our American freedoms on that very notion. However, uh, it was difficult, I guess, for the Founding Fathers to fully anticipate what was going to happen a couple of hundred years later with the advent of things like Google and YouTube and Facebook at all that creates this platform. And I guess one of the, one of the fundamental questions here that we're struggling with is, um, is there a limit by any means 
of um, free speech. I mean, for example, we can say that, well, we have a constitutionally protected right to free speech, and yet we know the old adage, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, and if you come into my house and use certain speech, I have a right to kick you out. So there are certainly some places where free speech can be limited or slightly abridged, but what of this notion of abridging it on public platforms like Facebook and YouTube at all? Well, Craig, I'd like to just back up for a second uh, and expand upon your, of course, perfect uh, description of the First Amendment. But not only does the First Amendment assure us that government will not pass any, that Congress, extended to the states by the 14th Amendment, that Congress cannot pass any law, and I'm paraphrasing, to abridge free speech. But but, Craig, there's an implication there that I want our listeners to remember throughout this broadcast and forever. And that is, not only does the speaker have a right to speak, is that, Craig, you and I and every citizen and resident in our country has a right to be exposed to hear various points of view. So it's a two-way street, and that's important because if one thing was more important than perhaps any other, and I don't know if it was, but if it was, it was, as Jefferson put it, as Franklin put it, as Madison put it, freedom of conscience. People have a right to their own minds to be exposed to information, to process it, and to make a decision. And that's a sacred right that we have because we are human. And if we are deprived points of view, then our conscience cannot fully operate because we're operating with an imperfect set of information. So let's remember, it's a two-way street. One is expressed and one is implied by the First Amendment. And, and one more comment to what you said. I want our listeners also to remember, and this is important for today's show, and that is that the right of free speech is not the right per se. It says government, government cannot censor. Government cannot deprive you of your right to speak. And as you pointed out, there are limitations, yelling fire in a crowded theater. You cannot uh, <clears throat> incite a mob to commit eminent mayhem or bodily harm to others. There are, you, there are certain limitations of necessity because we have to live in a civilized society. But the limitation is on government. And as we speak today, free speech rights do not affect what a newspaper can do, what a private company can do, and what Google and Facebook can do. And Facebook and Google can do whatever they darn well please, limited only by the free market. And this, of course, I think is perhaps one of the larger bones of contentions. We're seeing more and more this notion of wanting to redefine what the so-called speech in the public square is. I mean, you know, historically, out in the open, I could, uh, if I had the wherewithal to buy a printing press, print any book or pamphlet or leaflet or flyer and, and disseminate my free speech that way. I could stand in a public corner uh, here at an intersection, get a megaphone and exercise my free speech that way. Now, though, there's seems to be an increasing effort to try and broaden that definition of the public square to include places and platforms like 
Facebook and Google at all. And then I guess it comes down to another difficult question to answer, and that is, fundamentally, legally, um, are these so-called locations, places of dissemination of free speech, are they platforms, in which case essentially they're not culpable if somebody says something crazy or untoward? Or are they publishers, where in a sense that they provide the means by which the information may be promoted and disseminated and therefore have a degree of culpability for what is being said? Craig, without getting too much into the legal weeds, there was a book written, uh, 26 Words that created the internet and i don't remember all of 26 words but the book discussed a statute called section 230 of a somewhat recent i believe it was in the late in the 90s it was a statute when the internet was in its infancy and the statute is apropos of what you're talking about this morning <clears throat> excuse me that statute said that the uh, platforms on the internet, such as Google, Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, uh, and the like, those platforms cannot be held responsible for anything published on their sites. So if somebody were to put a posting which is, let's say, libelous, which exposes the person saying it or posting it to civil and perhaps criminal liability. There is criminal libel, but let's talk about civil libel. Even though the statement is libelous, the person writing the statement is liable, no pun, but the platform is not. Because if platforms had a police, uh, everything posted, YouTube and Facebook could never exist. So those 26 words gave the platforms, and I, I think appropriate, get-out-of-jail-free card in that they are not responsible for what's posted on their platforms. Now, any policing they do, and darn it, they do a lot of policing, which we will talk about during this session, I suspect. Any policing they do, they do it because the market seems to require it or because it satisfies the political orientation of those people who make the rules at Google and Facebook. They don't do it because they are required to by statute. They do it responding to public pressure, congressional pressure, the threat of being regulated, the threat of removing Section 230. So they do their own policing, but they do it in the darkness. So, Craig, if they decided that you, what you are saying is... Uh, not consistent with their worldview, they could make it so that you can do whatever you want on Facebook and YouTube, but nobody will ever see it or hear it. And they do that without telling you. It's called deplatforming. And I suppose in one respect, I mean, aside from accusations of, of, of monopolies and things of that sort, I suppose in one respect, because participation in these platforms is entered into voluntarily, and that there are a multiplicity of platforms available out there. I mean, you can disseminate the information on YouTube or Facebook or uh, other social media, Snapchat, whatever. Um, can't they essentially, ultimately stipulate in their terms and conditions, hey, when you're going to engage the public square on our platform, we reserve the right to XXX. I mean, wouldn't that ultimately kind of settle this argument? 
they don't make that if they have a bias, let's say a progressive bias, which is strongly suggested, dare I say proven, but I'll stop at strongly suggest that um, Facebook, and I'll use Facebook as a surrogate because everybody, of course, knows what Facebook is and they know who Mark Zuckerberg is. So I'll just use them as my, uh, my placeholder for this discussion. If Facebook decides that they have, they are determined to make sure a Donald Trump, as if that's a generic type, a Donald Trump cannot be reelected or elected in 2020. If they make that decision, they can uh, initiate in the darkness pretty powerful forces in their algorithm to influence whether they could affect the outcome profoundly remains to be seen. But they could certainly influence Facebook users without telling the Facebook users. So the problem is, excuse me, we are being denied of information that we might be interested in so our conscience can fully operate. We are denied that without being told. Facebook doesn't say, use our product if you are progressive and you want to have... um, uh, your bias reaffirmed, uh, then come on Facebook, you'll feel right at home. But if you're a conservative or an extremist, you'll never see any information to stroke your views. Facebook doesn't tell you they're doing that. They present themselves as being free from bias, but bias is subjective. And do you want Zuckerberg deciding what's a bias and what's objective, deciding what you can hear and see and listen to, or do you want to decide for yourself? That is the question that society hasn't yet come to grips with vis-a-vis social media. And I guess that begs the big question here then. Do, do we want that sense of freedom and liberty to be across the board, multiple platforms, or across a singular platform? Because what you described there, Robert, could easily be uh, pointed towards Fox News to say, well, here's a platform that decidedly has a conservative and um, unabashedly so conservative bent to it. And so are, are they in violation of, of, of some sort of a, a lack of fairness and fair play because they take a certain slant or head in a certain direction when it comes to their news coverage or on-air commentary? I mean, haven't newspapers been accused of this very same thing going back over a century? Of course they have. But And, and if we go back to the founding, if we go back to the election of 1800, uh, the most bitter election in American history, yes, the most bitter election, Adams versus Jefferson. Every newspaper had a stated bias. There were Jefferson newspapers and Adam newspapers, and everybody knew, and nobody had any cons- had any belief or even hope that they would get objectivity from the newspaper, just like we have haven't got any hope of getting objectivity from perhaps Fox or MSNBC. We watch it not because we want objectivity. We would watch C-SPAN for that. We watch it for other reasons, perhaps entertainment. So, but the, Craig, you and I, I can speak for myself, and I suspect you will remember that the, since 1933 until the late 
1990s, we had a principle in, in broadcasting, um, in network, in television and radio called the Fairness Doctrine. Do you remember that? I the very Fairness remember Doctrine? it. Remember it very do. well, and the and the bane of existence of many a programmer. <laughs> Of course it was. And the Fairness Doctrine was governmentally enforced. It started in 1933. It was a valuable tool by Franklin Roosevelt to make sure nobody spoke out against the New Deal. Uh, John F. Kennedy used the Fairness Doctrine to make sure nobody criticized him about the Bay of Pigs. It's always been politicized. It doesn't exist anymore. But the Fairness Doctrine required that any television or radio broadcaster as a condition of their license always presented balanced views so that if you presented a view from the left that took 42 minutes you had to present a view from the right that took 42 minutes as a result of that broadcast didn't present any views because if they had a 45 minute broadcast on the left they thought would be good radio or television it meant they had to give away 45 minutes of time to the other side which they didn't want to do and nobody would listen to so they just didn't carry anything so network radio and television became blah really boring and bland and nobody could learn anything from the network news because of the fairness doctrine is that what we want facebook to do determining its own standards of fairness and i say so the discussion right now craig in the in congress there's a bill pending by josh crowley um josh hawley who beat uh uh, Claire McCaskill in Missouri, he's a first-term senator, he has a bill right now to, in effect, force the platforms to be fair, and if they're not fair, he has a punishment built into them. And we're going to have the government audit the platforms for fairness. Can you imagine the government deciding what broadcasts and what platforms are fair? It's the end of information if that happens. But that, but that is right now the discussion. The alternative is that Facebook and Google et al., they make their own decisions, and we become the customers slash victims. We get filtered news, not everything we might be interested in. And this is where it becomes extremely problematic because now it's a determination as to whether or not we allow private enterprise to make that decision. So Google says they're going to fight fake news. Okay, who gets to decide what's real and what's fake? That line between fact and opinion, as we have learned, certainly in the political arena in recent years, is very much blurred. But then, conversely so, saying that the government is going to be in charge uh, either means that there could be heavy-handedness depended upon who's in power and what their their particular persuasion is, or, as Bob Zadek just pointed out, return to the days of the fairness doctrine, where in an effort to give not just equal access, but balance fairness of coverage of every viewpoint, every opinion, every angle, ultimately that meant that broadcasters most frequently covered nothing. And so many of the hot topics were just sort of left out there simmering. They weren't addressed. Why? Because the argument went that the government hands out the licenses. There are limited licenses available. Um, You can't just decide tomorrow, I don't like what Craig said on KFAX, so I'm going to start my own radio station at 1120 on the dial. Can't do that. So the notion was... Let's make sure that we create an environment controlled by the government that provides parity and fairness across the board, which ultimately meant there were no fairness at all because nothing got talked about. So how do we go about 
deciding this. We're going to come back to more of that part of the equation. Best-selling author, syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek with us. The program, The Bob Zadek Show, every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. KTRB, The Answer. His new book, The Bubble, How Higher Ed Became America's Most Overrated Product. Check it out. Other great resources, too, including podcasts of recent shows at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K dot com. A timeout back with some concluding thoughts as Lifeline continues. Right now, though, we get you an update on traffic at 524. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're uh, back to our conversation. Syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek with us today. More information about Bob's show. Heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. A great uh, alternative to the Talking Head programs. They really dive into some important issues and offer not just a debate, but insights. And, and ultimately, I think a lot of great knowledge. If you get to get more information, simply log on to bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Bob, certainly there's a lot of people that have different uh, dogs in this fight. I'm sitting here watching the the news wire here, and they're talking about, oh, uh, Google's got an agenda to manipulate its platform to try to influence the next election. Uh, you know, influencing of elections or politicians by corporate America is nothing new. In fact, I think there's about 35,000 registered um, influencers in Washington, D.C. alone that make the rounds attempting to try and and sway uh, votes and uh, and government opinion. That said, at the end of the day, how do you think this is going to come down? I mean, it, certainly the users of the platforms have some voice, but I have to wonder if eventually the U.S. Supreme Court is at some point going to have to weigh in on this. I don't think the Supreme Court has a horse in the race because there's no core constitutional question. After all, Facebook et al., are not the government. As a private business, they can do whatever they please so long as they don't deceive people, etc., all of the normal rules of marketplace behavior. So I don't know that the Supreme Court's going to weigh in. Congress might. After all, Congress can simply determine, they can fashion enough punishments so that they can threaten the platforms unless the platforms are unbiased, how in the heck could you tell that? So that kind of statute is unworkable, as as Senator Hawley will soon discover. But Congress can simply require that the platforms be objective and allow every participant to be exposed to every point of view and block nothing. Now, Craig, that would mean that you could be exposed to obscenity, to religious beliefs you don't like, to hateful behavior. But after all, you are today. There are bookstores. You can buy books. You can go into a porn store if that's your choice. If you don't want to, you don't go in. And the marketplace controls that perfectly. I envision, and perhaps because I have such faith in the free market, I envision that as the marketplace discovers that Google is in fact influencing how your search results are produced. That other platforms, there are many search platforms now, 
that there is a market for a platform that promotes itself as being filter-free. It just gives you search results that are exactly what you're looking for without interference by the company itself. And the market will be drawn to that objective search result as opposed to letting somebody you've never met affect your search results. So I have faith in the market. I find this to be temporary, and I think the market will punish Facebook and Google so long as the marketplace knows what Google and Facebook are doing. They are doing it now, but it's just beginning to be discovered, the depth of it. So I have faith in the market, and Frank Buckley, who was a guest on my show recently, published a very nice, interesting op-ed piece in the New York Post where he suggested a government agency be created for the sole purpose of determining the bias of the search and social media platforms and not regulating them, just providing the public, sort of like a rating system, what's biased and what's not, so the public can make a decision on what platform to do their social media business and on what platform to do searching. Wow. Uh, you know, that, you know, at the end of the day, so much of this is wrought with, with uh, liability and risk from a, a freedom of speech, freedom of thought um, position. You, you almost wonder, is it better to have some control, some rating, none whatsoever, allow the marketplace to ultimately decide? I mean, some might argue, well, what's the difference between Facebook or Google manipulating results in order to persuade and 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 uh, push a particular attitude or outcome from uh, you know attempting to influence an election either through running ads for or against a particular politician right up to and including well is there any difference then by hiring a lobbyist to go to work in Washington D.C. and do the same thing I mean it becomes a slippery slope at a lot of levels and I think we're going to find this ongoing dialogue fascinating as we move into the 2020 election. The Bob Zadek Show, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer. Check him out. Details about his resources, his guests, podcasts from previous shows, as well as information about his brand new book called The Bubble, How Higher Ed Became America's Most Overrated Product. We're going to have to come back, Robert, and talk about that in a uh, another visit. Uh, with so much talk now being put forward by uh, both Elizabeth Warren and um, Bernie Sanders on the whole issue of higher ed and forgiving um, school loans, school indebtedness, um, I think it's time we uh, we visit on that topic again. Bob Zadek, again, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. on 860 a.m., The Answer. Our thanks to Bob for being with us on that segment of Lifeline. All right, we're a bit late. Let's get caught up here. Traffic, we'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center once again. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
All right, welcome back to the conversation. Five thirty-seven. I was just commenting to uh, my next guest in the studio here. Normally, you can tell when the the months are changing from spring into summer, and as we're heading into July, as the weather begins to change. Uh, for us here at KFAX, uh, we typically know when Larry Rosenbaum comes by for a visit. He, of course, is the director of SOS Ministries and outreach to the city of San Francisco. That's been what forty years, forty years, yeah. 40 years and and continuing on. And of course, uh, as usual, Larry is in for his annual visit to talk about the outreach to the city of San Francisco uh, that'll be taking place uh, this year from July 10th through the 13th. And it is a it a remarkable opportunity uh, to engage in witnessing to the city of San Francisco. But dare I correct myself and say that when this outreach takes place, it really isn't limited to the city of San Francisco. It really is a global Outreach, and we'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. First, let's say hello to Larry Rosenbaum, again, Director of SOS Ministries. And with us today is a founding member of SOS Ministries, Scott Crawford. Scott joins us as well. Scott, welcome. Hi. Good to be here. So this is, this is interesting, Larry. As I mentioned, um, 40 years and growing strong. Yes. And uh, this really, this ministry from the very core and Scott can fill in some of the uh, the pieces here for us, too, was really birthed out of a heartbeat of getting out there into the highways and byways and compelling them to come in, meaning That's wherever right. they are, let's go and bring the gospel to them. That's right, yes. Give us a bit of the history, Scott. Um, you had been engaged in street witnessing yourself. You had been um, active in an outreach during Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Uh, yes, I had, and that... Uh the Mardi Gras and SOS are kind of the root of a lot of things that are going on now uh, in this country. Uh, citywide outreaches, continuous citywide outreaches that started with SOS uh, back in the day. Uh, some of the methods that we used on the streets were pioneered both at the Mardi Gras, which has now been going on since 1975, and this is our 40th year at SOS. I uh, Actually, it started when I've, uh, Larry and I were both witnessing on the streets from time to time. He lived in a ministry down here in the city. And I moved down here from South Lake Tahoe and rented a, a sorority house uh, out on Randolph Street in uh, Daly City. And uh, it had a bunch of rooms in my th- idea was, well, if we had a lot of of live-in ministry houses where they were ministering to people, uh, you know, out of the counterculture movement and everything back in the Jesus people days. But uh, I thought, you know, we need a place for people who are ministering to people in the San Francisco Bay Area, and it's so ex- even back then it was relatively expensive. Not as expensive as it is now. <laughs> yeah, this is true. It's unheard of. Uh, but uh, that we could share expenses and afford to live together and and minister without having to spend all of our time, you know, working and everything. You know. So essentially, pool resources, and, right. and I suppose along with that, also um, sort of discover best practices. Right. Exactly. And. I had been doing things down at the Mardi Gras in New Orleans, and we pioneered some methods down there using basically uh, mime, 
music and preaching and uh, start with the mime mime in fact i'm looking for a mime group right now if there's somebody that still would like to do that kind of stuff a silent mime draws a crowd every time and then you hold the crowd with the music and then the preaching kind of tends to disperse the crowd uh uh, however, uh, we had great effect with that, and then we brought that pattern out here with SOS and uh, had a fellow, uh, Ron Woodruff, with Shama Sound. He had a, he brought sound uh, and the equipment and the ability to mix sound and stuff like that, you know, to the group. And uh, so I, that was the beginning, and, and so we had the house, and then we had the uh, the ministry, and then out of that came a bunch of pastors and evangelists that got together and decided to do a once-a-year outreach, of which this is the 40th year for that. Now, what's ironic about this, uh, it, it might seem to the observer that, well, this is relatively new, birthed out of the Jesus movement and sign of that, again, that idea of just getting out there and, and engaging with people. But ironically, if you begin to kind of look at the pattern here, Larry, this really goes back to the book of Acts, doesn't it? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, well, that's what the early Christians – well, I think what happened, what we see that we're, after there was a persecution of the early church, it says that people were dispersed, and it says they went everywhere preaching the word, and so maybe they needed a little persecution to stir them up. But after <laughs> they did get persecuted, then they started uh, preaching the word wherever they went. Now, some might look at this at the surface and say, now, guys, hang on a minute here. Mardi Gras. So you're going to head down to New Orleans – where it's noisy and it's crazy, and they're the half of them are drunk, <laughs> right? And try to share Jesus anymore to think about a city like San Francisco that has a reputation for the summer of love and uh, all the, the the wanton wildness that associates with the international image that San Francisco has. And you would think, well, can't you find a little more fertile soil than that? Those are big challenges. Well, it's a matter of people reaching, uh, you know, uh, I like, and I've come back to this area and now going to be here permanently for the rest of my life. Uh, I'm about to turn 80 in September 3rd, and uh, we've been going half of my life, 40 years here with SOS, primarily because Larry has kept it going. Uh, I was there at the beginning, helped to get things started with vision and so on and so forth. But without Larry, we wouldn't be still going on here today. But now we've teamed back up together, and we have a team that still lives in the house and shares expenses. Uh, That concept continues on. Uh, And it's, I mean, if you're wanting to reach the world, uh, the Holy Spirit told me one time, I could go to Fisherman's Wharf, pick any corner, preach the same message over and over and over and over and over again, and reach the world, because the world comes to Fisherman's Wharf. Well, and particularly, and that's a good point to, to, to focus in on, particularly in a city like San Francisco. And Larry, I was reading one of the, the more recent SOS ministry newsletters, and in just the last couple of months... It speaks to the results of street witnessing, having reached people visiting here from China, India, Brazil, Germany, and France, Mm -hmm. 
of either a atheist, Muslim, New Age, Buddhist, Roman Catholic, Hebrew, Israelite background, and those are just the ones that you're aware of and mentioned. So yeah. you could literally get into San Francisco, as you will, July 10th through 13th, when we're at a peak tourist season, and literally people from all over the world are attracted to come and see this beautiful city by the Golden Gate and spend some time here as tourists and expose them to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who's to know but the Holy Spirit, what seeds are planted and then brought back to those countries and those particular religious persuasions? That's right. You know, you do reach people from every country. You know, I... Uh, one time I was at Fisherman's Wharf, I saw a group of people there from North Korea, of all places, you know. Wow. A place you could not go to and evangelize if you want to <laughs> stay out of jail or stay alive. But there were people here from North Korea, you know, so you get people from everywhere. And, of course, lots of people from Saudi Arabia and these Arab- Muslim countries where it's totally you could not preach the gospel. But they come here, and there's a lot of students from those countries, too, you can witness to. And we've seen people come to the Lord, Muslims come to the Lord here. Some people are probably asking about, well, what's the receptivity look like? And we'll talk about that after the break. We're visiting today in studio with Scott Crawford, one of the founding members of SOS San Francisco, along with current ministry director Larry Rosenbaum. Their 40th annual San Francisco outreach will run July 10th through the 13th in San Francisco. And we'll talk more about that and how you can get involved. Meanwhile, to get more information, simply go online to SOSMIN, that's M-I-N, abbreviation for ministry, SOSMIN.com. That's SOSMIN.com. Back with more, Scott Crawford, Larry Rosenbaum, here on the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. Right now, though, we pause to get you updated on some traffic, 547. Head back over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation, and it continues both on air and off air. Larry Rosenbaum with us in studio today from SOS Ministries. Also, Scott Crawford, founding member of SOS Ministries. And Scott, you mentioned to me just a moment ago something off the air that I think is is important. We were talking about this notion of sometimes the fear and intimidation that people have when you talk about street witnessing, and they hear that and think, oh, that kind of evangelism, well, you can't have a special calling for that, and that's not for me, when in reality what they're saying is, I don't know really how to share my faith in any context, let alone doing it. If I can't do it to people I know, how can I ever possibly hope to do it in front of people that I don't know? And I think it's a fundamental failure of understanding what true discipleship is all about. And this notion, too, that I think the church, and you touched on this, um, will give, you go. We have done a good job historically, the American church, in the sending of missionaries, and we've been successful in influencing a lot of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, particularly the church in America. Yes. Where of recent years there has been a failure, and there was a little bit of a spike in the 70s, but then that kind of petered out. And that is the notion that uh, we're willing to go out to the highways and byways overseas, but the notion of doing it here close to home, that we're not so keen on anymore. And it's it's fascinating to see where... Churches are willing to invest sometimes tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars in supporting a missionary to go overseas, 
but they don't have it in their budget for 100 bucks to make sure somebody can go and do missions work on Mission Street in San Francisco, and that I find odd. Right, yeah. Well, that's a, it's a breakdown in what true discipleship is, is uh, the fivefold ministry uh, ends with the phrase, the, for the equipping of the saints mm. for the work of service. So we that have, uh, for instance, I, I'm an evangelist. Larry's an evangelist. Uh, we don't claim an office that puts us over somebody, and none of those offices were to be over somebody, even an apostle. Apostle is a person that just breaks ground constantly. If you're not constantly breaking ground, then you, I, you know, I don't see you uh, as having an apostleship. And we, we all have that as we break new ground. But the ground we need to break first is that fear and intimidation that's in us. And one of the things that we offer for people to come out to the street and join us on any given Friday or Saturday is to help them break through. It's hard to break through in your surroundings where, you know, you know everybody, but you go down on the streets, pass out a few tracks, bingo, you find out, well, this is easier than I thought. And when you start talking you realize that there's more in you than you think there is. You've been sitting there in church listening for years or decades, and when you open your mouth, it just starts to come out. People ask questions, and somehow you know the answer. Because, of course, the Holy Spirit is working with you to remind you and to affect people as you talk to them. And if you don't know the answer, that's okay, too. Sure. Because at the end of the day, you're just being obedient. It is the Holy Spirit that is affecting the witness and the change in an individual's hearts. And I think sometimes, Larry, we, we're intimidated to the point of thinking, well, this is, kind of a, this is kind of a work, and I need to be good at doing this work, and i got to see it all the way through, failing to recognize that, you know, some plant, some water, mm-hmm. God gives the increase Right, and you never know from day to day whether you're on the planting, <laughs> on the planting team, the planting detail, or the watering detail, or the tearing out the weeds and planting and providing some fertilizer detail along that process of somebody coming to the full acceptance realization of their sin nature and acceptance of Christ's work on the cross. Yeah, it's true. A lot of times we'll go out and we may think that we're not accomplishing anything, but then. You know, one day I'll get a phone call or I'll get a note or a letter from somebody or I'll run into somebody. Even one day I was sitting next to somebody at church and they told me that years ago that they had stopped. Uh, uh, they were on a bus. They got it. They felt that they should get off the bus. They got off a bus and we were doing an outreach and that's where they came to the Lord. And mm. now their life's totally changed. So we hear about these stories all the time. But but uh, and of course, most of them we're only going to hear when we get to heaven. But uh, I know that uh, God's doing work and and I want my life to have eternal significance. You know, I want to make a difference for eternity in people's lives. Is it scapegoating? Is it excuse making when we say, "Well, you know, uh, I'm not called to that particular ministry"? I mean, I, I I think of going back to the model of the apostles uh, who got scattered abroad, and uh, you know, they they didn't have a real clear cut, uh, smooth path for them. In fact, even Jesus said, you're going to go to some towns, and you might have to end up wiping or knocking the dust off of your sandals if they exactly. don't receive you. Yeah. 
But this wasn't like, well, we're going to head into town and there's going to be radio advertising and we're going to have a big tent set up and there'll be a PA system and the, the choir will be there and the organist will play and there'll be volunteers who will, uh, you know, be available to pray. No, none of that happened. They went two by two. And this ragtag group of 12 people that I think most professional corporate America job hunters would never have looked at any of these guys' resumes even twice right. for the position that they were <laughs> unwittingly applying for. And yet 12 men turn the entire world on its head and continue through the power of the Holy Spirit to have an influence on us to this very day. I mean, we are Think about this. We are the spiritual byproducts. Of the twelve disciples. That's right. I mean, that's a, that's a mind blower when you think of it. Yeah, that's true. And of course, it wasn't just those twelve, but they influenced other people who also influenced other people. And here we are, two thousand years later. So, was the outreach of SOS Ministry then essentially Scott Crawford being an influencer? Uh, yes, it is. And when you're talking about that, going back to the uh, apostles, also going. Forward, when we're talking to people, we were talking about this one time in the van about how we've touched somebody who's touched somebody who's touched somebody who's touched somebody, and so on. So we don't get. I worked with Mario Morello for about ten years. Oh, sure. mm-hmm. Okay, and I still uh, do things with him from time to time. Resurrection City, in, in Berkeley, uh, yes, wasn't it? yeah, yeah right. that was my first yeah. church, really. And that's where the Lord showed me the supernatural side of things, you know, where I saw healings. I were, I was blessed to work with Catherine Coleman. Mm-hmm. I was uh, the captain of the usher on the healing floor when she came to Oakland uh, back in the day before she passed away. So the repercussions uh, of, of what you do, you'll never know. I don't get to give altar calls like Mario does. We don't get to see the immediate fruit. But we hear at time, I say it this way, God gives us, uh, you know, I've prayed for a lot of people to be healed. Well, some of those people, one one year, one time five years ago up in Willits, California, I was checking out at a grocery store, and the lady that checked me out said, oh, you're Scott Crawford. I remember you came to our church five years ago, prayed for my back, and I was healed instantly from that time on. Well, see, I never, I never knew that. And uh, we've seen a lot of people who have come to the Lord and said, you were the one that, you know, one guy is a, I, you baptized me in Lake Tahoe, you know, back in the 70s and so on and so forth. But we uh, then get to see the fruits of it. But here's the way I look at it. It's like the Holy Spirit showed me. He said, I'm going to give you, let you see enough of your results to be encouraged but not enough for you to get the big head. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll today in studio, Larry Rosenbaum, Scott Crawford, the annual SOS outreach to San Francisco, now in its 40th year, coming to San Francisco July 10 through 13. There's all kinds of opportunities to be involved, either being a prayer warrior, coming out as a volunteer, doing street witnessing, passing out broadsides, lots of stuff for you to uh, to engage in and, and getting involved in this annual outreach, whether you're just kind 
kind of a novice learning this and wanting to find out what street ministry is all about, or maybe you've got some experience at this and you've got some talent, skills, and abilities that have been kind of honed and, and, and perfected that you want to lend to it, again, mark the dates, July 10 through 13, and you can get information on the web at sosmen.com. That's men as in ministry, sosmen.com. Let's take a brief time out. When we come back, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what's going to be taking place in the city of San Francisco, July 10th through 13. We'll also talk about the one lingering question that many people have, and that is, does this really work? That is Lifeline Continues. Six o'clock from KFAX. Let's get you updated on some traffic ahead of headline news and the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center right now. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.